Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I'm Andy Nichols. I'm Sarah Slate. I'm Thomas Arnold. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. Today, we're talking all about when and how to say no to clients. Let's get started. So just to kind of start off, what are some of the situations that we can find ourselves in where you need to say no to a client? And you know, what does that look like and how do we navigate that? One example I'll give, since I sit in the UX department, is clients wanting to move forward with something without either doing any user testing or not letting us have access to external customers to test with, which can often result in knowledge gaps that don't get identified and come back to bite you in the rear later on down the road. And so I've, I've seen that happen before where we didn't push back hard enough against their wanting to move forward without user testing. And then when, when the results were poor, what got built and knowledge gaps were discovered, the client was very mad. <laughs> and um, you know, we got the blame for that. And I think, you know, there, there are instances where it's appropriate to try to advise them against making a bad decision. And, you know, hopefully they'll re- respect you more for that. I think a, a, an extension of that that I see most frequently is when you're, when you've agreed on a requirements and a solution, but when the actual development is is underway or or near completion there's a tendency to understand other things that you would have liked to try and push that requirement further Um, and that may not fit within the timeline or the budget and that's always an interesting conversation because there could be elements that that are key to the success the success or acceptance of the application that are needed so that's always a, a difficult balance Right. And in that case, you're not saying no to the functionality or you know, it, it might be a very good thing for the app. You're saying not right now or yes. we, we can't do that with the current budget. If this is important, let's have a conversation around how to how to incorporate that. Or, or just timeline. A lot mm-hmm. of it is time. You know, we know we understand that this is a great, um, you know, a, a very positive change for the application. But given the, the current circumstances, budget and timeline, we, we can't get that in yet. Right. Or you can trade off. That's the other discussion. It's not always a, a, you know, a hard no. It's a, you know, we may be able to get that in if you exchange for other features or, or you know, uh, pieces of the requirements that are still outstanding. And you have to be careful how you say no, right? If you just keep saying, no, it's out of scope, no, it's out of scope, eventually they'll stop coming to you with these things. But finding out what their nice-to-haves are is actually very important contextual knowledge to make sure whatever you're building uh, doesn't you know, paint yourself into a corner. You want to be able to support these other things once we're done with the current you know, focus of the work. Uh, so it, be sure to keep an open ear as you, these requests are coming in, even if for now they're no. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're a solid no forever. As an aside on nice-to-haves, 
there are some times that a nice to have ends up being incredibly easy to do. And so that can win you points with the client when you say, oh yeah, we, we threw this in because it was easy for us to build or include. Um, and then you, you get a few extra points from them. But in general, it's good to have, it's good to have an eye of where you're going in the future. I think that's sometimes where if, if you don't say no, it can lead you to worse situations than that uncomfortable conversation of saying no. Um, I worked on a client early in my career and it, it was hard because there were a lot of expectations and unrealistic expectations of when something could get developed by. And I wasn't able to say no at that point. And it led me very quickly to burnout. Um, you can have other things like missed deadlines, missed deliverables, or if you just have poor architectural decisions or design decisions, you're going to end up with more work in the future if you're not able to say no. And sometimes timelines are affected by, you know, events that weren't in place uh, when the project began, right? Like a new demo where a conference shows up and we need to get something to show, you know, for that event. And so sometimes they, things come up and we just have to work together to figure out what we'll have available. Maybe the answer is, no, we can't really support that if we want to keep the overall timeline intact. Or sometimes it's like, okay, we'll shift our focus a little bit here, uh, but uh, at the sacrifice of what we can deliver at the end, because this prep work will take some time away from the overall work we have as well. Yeah, I think there's an underlying assumption just kind of that needs to be recognized that the word no isn't in and of itself a bad thing. It's the context surrounding it and it's the tone that it's set in often and the and the like other communication that happens alongside it. Are you saying, no, this is a bad idea. Why would you think of something so dumb? Yeah, that's very different from, no, we can't fit that in this sprint. Let's have a conversation around budget and staffing so we can and prioritization so we can get this in in the next sprint or something like that. It's so I think part of it can be reframing, especially for people who are more junior or still kind of learning things, there can be an assumption like, oh, you're coming to me asking me for something. I can't say no because I'm, I don't have the authority to do that. And, and right. a part of that comes down to, you know, team composition and, and making sure people feel supported. But I think there's also kind of an element of training and building culture where it's okay to say no, as long as you're doing it in a way that's respectful and, you know, you're communicating clearly and you're setting expectations from there. Yeah, it's really, it's really no the consequence of of the the ask, right? Um, you can say no, this is not a good idea because of these impact, and and that could be time, could be um, cost, but often, and I'm I'm picking up from Thomas's uh, uh, statement because we were both involved in in that one where the consequence was a delay or you know implications of delay to actual development time um so it's it as you say it's always it's a qualification um or, or the consequences of of the ask that you need to use as the justification for a no uh, statement it reminds me a little bit of the yes and rule from improv where if somebody suggests something and you're improving with them and you just say, nah, it kills it. 
But if you say yes, and then you, you're presenting other options. And I think that's important to keep in mind if you're saying no, is to have other options. You don't always even have to say no. You can say, well, okay, so what we can do here is we have these options and you may not list what they want in your three options you give them, but you're providing direction, you're providing options to give them paths forward towards generally where they want to go, but it may not include the one thing that they were asking for right now. And sometimes that's needed because it may not be the right, you know, this, the right suggestion, but as a consultant, as an expert on the project, as someone who's kind of working and coaching them through, you know, we've, we've talked about that in the past when we talked about kind of consulting one-on-one, you know, you're there as uh, someone who is there to ask questions and to have opinions. And you can take in those recommendations or those suggestions and kind of direct the conversation from there. It doesn't just have to be, okay, well, we have to do it exactly this way. It may be, you know, okay, like you were saying, that's a good idea. Here are some directions we can take it. And so, yeah, we yes, and, and then there's also, you know, yes, when, like, yes, mm -hmm. when we're done with this feature, maybe we can make a better decision, better informed decision. Or yes, if, you know, if we uh, get done earlier than the timeline, or what if we only did part of the feature you're asking for, right? So those are all options. Uh, uh, and as we were saying, like, it's just human nature to ask for more stuff, right? You, this is your budget. This is what you're paying. You always want more, right? If I go somewhere or if I go to a restaurant, heck, if you throw in a free side of extra fries, I won't say no. I'll be very happy, right? <laughs> and that just helps the relationship. That's like the low-hanging fruit Thomas was talking about, right? Uh, sometimes it's easy, you know? If there's a big fryer going, just taking a couple of fries and putting it on my plate, you know, I'll be happy and didn't cost them much, really. Uh, <laughs> And, and it, you, you can just expect it, that people will want more uh, because that's just how we are. Uh, you know, some people really love bargaining. That's, that's what they live for. I have a cousin that whenever she goes overseas, she doesn't care what she's buying. She just likes the art of bargaining and like getting something lower than what it's listed. All right. That's just, it's fun. So uh, be prepared for that because it's really uh, a different take on the the con no consequence we were talking about. For them, there's no consequence in asking for more, right? It doesn't hurt to ask. Right. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there's also, um, you know, we need to recognize, you know, how, how often conversations mean different things to people. And it's no no different when you've got a requirement laid out. No matter how much you talk about it, even, people will take away what they think that requirement is or what the solution is going to be. And often when reality appears, you know, that's when the differences make themselves known. So you have to think about that and account for that. It doesn't matter how hard we try, people are always going to interpret, um, you know, conversations or items or requirements in their head differently to other people. Um, so that's something that we have to manage for as well. So I do think it's worth, you know, Thomas mentioned this a little bit. There are going to be situations where even, you know, you, you wish the answer could be no, you know, maybe there's a request or there's, you know, I guess a good example would be, and there's a huge uh, app breaking bug that needs to be fixed right now because everything is blowing up and going down that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. 
you know, and there are a number of other you know situations like that where, for whatever reason, you can't say no, and you need to just kind of move quick on your feet and try to get things sorted out as quickly as possible. So I guess just my follow up question for that is like, how do you navigate when you can't say no in a way that still benefits the team overall and protects the sanity of the team overall? And you know, you're still communicating clearly. What are, what are some strategies that you can go about in that, you know, just to, to make it as healthy an interaction as possible? I think we mentioned this, but, you know, really just posing, presenting the options to them. Uh, you know, we hear you. We know we need to do this. Here are the two or three options we can, uh, like, you know, follow. Uh, and here are the consequences of that. I think it's also important to keep tabs on how often those fires are coming up and how often these urgent, you can't say no kind of requests are coming across. Because if everything's urgent, nothing's urgent. And if you're constantly fighting fires, there's no time to have planned, measured approaches to move forward. And so if you can keep tabs on that, once every now and then, okay. If it's frequent, there needs to be more conversations had to rein in the chaos. I was going to say, if you're always fighting fires, you're eventually going to run out of water. Yeah. Um, I think that's to the conversation we were having around baselining for projects. Um, you know, it's, it's always difficult to say no, right? In everyday life with everything we do. You know, kids, family, friends, you know, there's always no situation. Um, clients, clients are no different. But if you have a well-established baseline for the project and everyone is communicating regularly and understanding the position and the status of the work and the cost and the time, then those no conversations become much easier. You know, establishing at a, at a project kickoff making sure that everybody understands understands the guiding um, principles for the project. Is it time? Is it cost? Is it, you know, scope? Uh, and communicating that through status reports and stand-ups and, and demo meetings as to the actual status. It makes it a lot easier to deal with those clashes, if you like, or, or not clashes, but those um, questions from the client about why they can't get an extension to a particular piece or, you know, the impacts that you, you provide as alternatives. Um, so I think that's key. Um, establishing that communication on a regular basis will always help with those difficult no situations. And we have a podcast episode on, you know, how to do project kickoffs mm -hmm. uh, that goes into a little more detail. But it's, as Andy said, that's critical. That's sort of setting the expectations uh, right off the bat, right? So there are, there's no confusion or room for misinterpretation. You can, you can protect your ability to say no with a good project kickoff. Mm -hmm. don't, lose, don't lose the ongoing communication. Status reports are things that tend to fall by the wayside because they're, you know, it gets a little repetitive. To, to do those. But if, if you've been consistent and are regularly communicating those potential risks and issues that are out there, then you can, you can better position your, your discussions around changes that are asked. Um, you know, 
it's it's very hard to introduce a no out of the blue. Whereas if there's been a building, you know, momentum towards something happening that you want to try and manage, then a no is a lot easier to to position. Right. And I think it just needs to be stated, like just saying no and leaving it at that is pretty much never helpful. Saying no and explaining why or saying no and providing insight or options or direction is is where the real value is because then it, it changes from like a you know we were talking about improv from the like killing the conversation and saying nope moving on to a a catalyst for continued conversation high quality communication and figuring out what's best for the project and best for the team moving forward so you know as fun as it might be to just say no and walk away that's never helpful yeah, some some examples um, I've come across for kind of how, how to deal with that is, you know, asking for further clarification from the client before giving them a no um, can, you know, often help you uncover insights that may lead to better, more reasonable and doable solutions for one thing. But that can, you know, start the conversation that will allow you to offer an alternative um, or many alternatives gives you an opportunity to kind of explain consequences of what they're asking for and maybe lay out the expectations of that um, a little more clear for the client. And it just also makes them feel heard and listened to, which is important. Yeah. Following on to that, I think that's a great point where uh, it's not just yes and or yes when, right? It's yes and and also having a why in there. Like, why are you even asking this? Are we missing something that is critical to your needs? Uh, so really digging in to explore what's behind the question or the request they're making. Right. Yeah. Making assumptions is going to always make things messier. So clarifying as much as possible, making sure you understand the request or the question before you give an answer. Not just rushing in to say, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. No, we can't do that. Because it, you know, Thomas was saying before, there may be things that are brought up or that are nice to have so that you realize, oh, that's that's pretty doable. We can work that in. But you need to have the clarifying questions first to make sure you're on the same page because you may be thinking of something completely different. You know, not to mention, depending on the team you're communicating and working with, they may have you know, terms you're not familiar with, or they may have approaches that you're not familiar with that make the solution easier or more difficult. And I think you know the, the even worse situation to be in is to say yes, and then realize after the fact you should have said no, and then you need to backpedal or you know figure figure that whole situation out. So that yeah, making sure you're understanding first is key. So I do think it's interesting or worth spending a little bit of time talking about. You know, there are good and bad reasons to say no to someone, uh, specifically in this situation to a client, uh, and just kind of spending some time talking about like what are some of those good or bad reasons and how can we reframe maybe the bad reasons or or understand them better well good reasons uh for, for saying no are always generally related to finances or time <laughs> uh, i find scope scope are always the the ones that can can have a little more flexibility because you can always tweak things or as thomas said there's opportunity to to improve things sometimes even within the the you know, the scope and the time but financial um ones are, are, are the the obvious 
you know, if you have a requirement and we say yes to this, there is an impact. And if that if that falls outside of the timeline or the budget, then something has to change. So those are the, those are always the most difficult to uh, to have with a, a client or a team when you're when you're in the heat of development and you have a, a you know a deadline coming up or a budget deadline pending. Another reason is we're brought here to build good products, right? And sometimes clients will start to suggesting things. And if we were to do all of them, we'd end up with the Frankenstein of a product, right? And so that's, I think Sarah was saying earlier, is like, we have to say no or guide them to say, you know, if you want a nice cohesive product, then, you know, here's the path we need to follow. We can't do some of these or we can't do it this way. Let's implement it a different way, right? Uh, I get, I, this reminds me of that one Simpsons episode where Homer was in charge of building a car and he was making suggestions and the engineers were saying no. And then I think his brother-in-law or cousin or something said, no, put your foot down and just say, this is how I want to do it. And so they couldn't say no anymore. They had to say yes. And the car that they ended up with was a Frankenstein that put his cousin out of business or something. <laughs> right. Um, and so that that's an, ex an example of like, we're really here to help, right? And so we should guide them to the best we can. And that guidance includes saying no to some things that we feel are not in line with the product we're building. Yeah, Thomas had raised that, that point a little earlier, that understanding the bigger picture and the strategy and the objective is, is key to be out of position um, some of those discussions. You know, yes, we can do this, but it's going to lead us down a path that takes us off of the original objective or, or your original target. Um, and I think that, that's a very good point. Sarah mentioned something earlier that I thought was important, which is to have the client feel like they're being heard. Sometimes they just need to talk. Sometimes they need to feel like someone is listening. So something I always rely on if I'm getting feature requests or someone wants me to build some new little widget on into the app is to say, okay, here's our process. We need to take this up with our JIRA admin. We need to go through the process of let's create a ticket. Let's put in some requirements. Let's take this information, put it somewhere and we'll prioritize it for our next sprint. And it may never get prioritized for the next sprint because it isn't a priority, but they felt heard. They know there's a ticket out there for this item that they want done. And if leadership and everyone takes a look at it and says, yeah, we actually do need this in, then great, there you have it. But having some process defined in your team to say, here's, here's where new requests go, then you can work through that a little bit smoother than just saying, no, I'm not going to build that for you. Go talk to somebody else. Right. And the yeah, upside and of that is you're already starting to build a backlog for the next phases of work. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's what I was going to say is, yeah, you're, you're turning it from what could potentially be a, a difficult conversation of, no, we can't do that into, okay, well, now we have ideas where we can go next, where we can go forward when we have more time or more resources or, or whatever it may be, and not just letting that request disappear into the void. 
so yeah, part of it is making sure that the client feels heard. And part of it is making sure that you know, we have direction moving forward. We have a good idea of what is wanted or needed or kind of next steps. So yeah, it's, it's very similar to how, you know, you never just say no and then move on. It's even if the answer is no, you're still documenting and keeping track. Okay. Here's when this was mentioned. Here's who mentioned it. Here's what it would require. Uh, and kind of working that into your process rather than just letting it drop. So I'm curious if anyone has any other, uh, fun examples or stories or lessons learned about when this has happened and either you can make yourself look good and say when it went really, really well, or times when maybe it didn't go so well. And, you know, like Thomas was saying, it kind of leads to a stressful or tense situation or burnout. I think it'd be worth spending a little bit of time kind of hearing some of your war stories on this. Some engagements are designed to have some of that friction. So for example, uh, a lot of what we do are discoveries and POCs, right? Proof of concepts. And the way to approach those is really you're saying yes to everything up front because you are trying to do art of the possible and figure out all your uh, mm-hmm. things that you know people are interested in so you can hone in on the right stuff. And so you're going saying yes, 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 and this thing is ballooning up. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the timeline. It's like, okay, now we need to turn our direction inward, right? Uh, and you need to start saying no to a lot of things that you know you've almost taken uh, a different turn now and the client can no longer just say anything and say yeah we'll, we'll hear you now it's like no let's focus on what of the many ideas you actually want to go build right and that could be a point of friction uh mm-hmm. which has always been interesting and sometimes it's hard to uh get to that like i think andy's going through that right now with one of his other projects right it's like you they're at that point where it's it's been so big and there's so many ideas, but you have to sort of, uh, you know, put the stake in the ground and say, here's where we're going because we need to start building and we need direction. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest challenges I've come across uh, recently is quality, um, where we're you know we're continually trying to build on uh, a platform that isn't stable and i think that's really what you're referencing it and um you know we took a relatively hard stance on not moving forward with the next phases until we were clear that we had a, a you know a well tested and quality baseline to work from or the expansion of that was was genuinely going to put the whole platform at risk um, you know it was it was potentially going to take us into an area that we might not recover from. So that was that was a, a tough conversation, but um, we positioned it well and um, the client bought into it wholeheartedly and we're working through those issues you know, right now. Um, so that was a that was a very successful, not really a no, but in the same vein of, of saying no. Um, but it was for everyone's benefit, especially the client's benefit. And uh, I think that was recognized after we got into the detailed discussion. Yeah, on that project, they were looking at if they had gone down the road, they were headed down potentially loss of their contracts um, due to producing something that just was not architecturally sound or stable. Um, and so I think that's. That's where sometimes coaching your clients on what software development looks like can be 
really important. And I think that goes back to Andy's point about clear communication and keeping that up is to help them understand, all right, it's great to build new features, but you also need to make sure that what you're building is stable or, okay, we've had the discovery phase. Now we need to start honing in on a, a specific phase one to begin and helping them to understand what does the software development lifecycle look like so that they can accurately frame in their mind what are reasonable expectations to have. How about from the UX side, any other friction stories? One of the projects I'm working on now, um, we kind of started out designing a solution um, for the client that was sort of their end game vision, long-term goal, blue sky, works the way they want it to, has all the integrations that they want, um, only for, you know, um, to kind of find out through through the engineering phase that like some of the stuff just isn't doable in, in the time frame that they want to deliver. So what I'm maintaining and designing for them is sort of like two solutions, the two design files that's, you know, the blue sky one for the kind of the North Star future vision and then the, the MVP scope um, solution. So we're actually going to be um, testing with customers next month um, to give feedback to kind of find out like those deltas, how critical are they? Um, is, is this a passable MVP solution that's going to meet, meet the needs of the customers? Or are, are there, you know, going to be points of friction where they're like, I, you know, this is a deal breaker for me. I, I need this, you know, particular piece to work like our kind of future scope thing and being able to compare that to make sure that, you know, the MVP product is, is something that's um, going to be well received by the customers, but kind of finding that balance of uh, juggling the two, two visions. Um, and I think it's working pretty well in terms of, you know, kind of ha- having that one where it's like all the, all the extra requests and, and, and blue stack things go into it. Um, but having that that version that's more grounded in reality and being able to get customer feedback um, on what those experiences you know are, are like for the end customer and, and how they responded to them. Yeah, it's essentially the design file version of creating a backlog of tasks. Like you're you're mm-hmm. hearing out, okay, here here's the direction, and even planning out user testing to validate. You know, it's it's even better when the users you're interviewing are the ones saying no, and you're just delivering the message rather than uh, right. Ha- kind of having the data to back it up is uh, is exactly. crucial. But yeah, yeah, having that kind of longer term scope also you know make sure that your clients feel heard, especially when they can see. Oh yeah, I know we can't do this now, but it's good to know we have a plan of where this could go in the future. So I think in summary, uh, it's not bad to say no. It's just, it's bad to say no and leave it there. The, the biggest key in all of this that I'm hearing is just communication, making sure people feel heard, making sure you're having follow-up conversations and asking good questions so that you know, you're not wasting your no and instead you're turning it into a catalyst for continued uh, improvement and conversations and improving the project, making sure people uh, have, a, have a chance to voice their concerns or their, their wishes. 
And yeah, I think like that's a key point. Just like don't don't waste the opportunity for your no to be more than a no, and to turn into into more than that. It, it's kind of like when a client asks us something and we say no, it should almost not be a surprise to them that we're going <laughs> to say no. If we've done it, if we've done it right, and we've had a baseline and we've communicated well and we've been talking then the no should never be that difficult, right? There may be debate about it and options to discuss and changes to be made, but it should never be a trauma. It should it should almost be that they know what they're asking is not not necessarily fitting within the guidelines. And that happens a lot. I mean, you will have clients that ask continuously knowing that it that it breaks the kind of established path and rules and that's okay as well thanks for connecting with us today if you have a complex software problem that needs solving thoughts on what we discussed today or ideas on what topics we should tackle next feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experioinc.com or on twitter at experioinc we'd love to hear from you Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time.